the failure of drug war is glaringly obvious to judges, cops, wardens, prosecutors, and millions more now calling for decriminalization, legalization, the end of prohibition. Let us investigate the century of lies. Hello and welcome to Century of Lies. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. The state of Oregon's groundbreaking Measure 110, the Drug Addiction Treatment and Recovery Act, a ballot initiative overwhelmingly approved by voters in 2020 that decriminalized small-scale simple possession of some drugs and provided funding for vital services, is on the verge of being rolled back by state legislators who are being cheered on by police and other drug war supporters. The legislature's Joint Committee on Addiction and Community Safety Response held a public hearing Monday, February 26th on the current vehicle for recriminalization, House Bill 4002. First, let's look at what this measure would do. Here's Jessica Minifee, Senior Deputy Legislative Counsel at the Oregon Legislature. So these first two slides are just a very quick overview of provisions that are remaining either the same or are very similar to the Dash 1s. So the change to the definition of delivery to include attempted transfers, um, in other words, the state v. Boyd, meaning that's not changed. Um, the enhanced crime categories for certain types of delivery in certain locations. Um, the only change there is that in the Dash 1s, the delivery had to occur within the park, and in the Dash 24s, it would be within 30 feet of the park. And the reevaluation of release guidelines by the Chief Justice for Delivery and Manufacture is unchanged. Um, these next three provisions, again, um, the welfare hold expansion is not changed, the data tracking, um, no substantive changes. And the Class E violation provisions are being repealed with the adoption of this new um, unclassified misdemeanor. The big change here is that these changes will take, uh, become operative on September 1st, 2024. So these next few slides are the main differences between the amendments. Um, there is no longer, um, well, there is no longer a defense to a charge of possession um, if you complete a deflection program. Um, the amendments instead encourage both law enforcement agencies and district attorneys to um, deflect and divert these cases. And the idea is that if a law enforcement agency adopts this deflection program, um, these cases would never reach the point where they would be charged. The Oregon Criminal Justice Commission will be establishing a data tracking system um, to collect information from deflection programs that do start up around the state. And you can see that there's a couple of goalposts here 12 months after the effective date. And again, this, um, this bill would have an emergency clause that becomes effective when the governor signs it. Um, the Criminal Justice Commission will conduct a study to determine best practices and standards for these programs. And then at 18 months, they will actually adopt these standards and best practices for deflection programs. So currently, the conduct that is described on this slide um, is a Class E violation. And all of these would become what is called in the amendment a drug enforcement misdemeanor. And this is all beginning on September 1st, 2024. So a drug enforcement misdemeanor is just a name given to what this new misdemeanor is. And for all intents and purposes, it's an unclassified misdemeanor in that it doesn't fit within any of the current categorizations of misdemeanors with their maximum penalties. The penalty for a drug enforcement misdemeanor is either a straight time sentence of 180 days if the defendant requests and the court agrees, or a period of 18 months probation, um, supervised probation. And any jail 
um, would have to be suspended. So the court could not impose a sentence of jail at sentencing unless they're doing that straight time sentence with the defendant's consent. So there would be an 18-month probation period. Um, While the person is on probation, the person would be subject to structured sanctions that could include jail time for violating the probation. It could include things like community service. Um, If the person is ultimately revoked from their probation, the court could impose up to 180 days as a revocation sanction. And while that person is serving that 180 days revocation sanction, the person would be eligible for early release to treatment. And the uh, the county community corrections agencies, so usually county parole and probation, would be tasked with monitoring the availability of these um, treatment programs to see if the person is eligible. And if the person is eligible, there's a treatment program available, the person would be required to execute um, a release agreement in order to be released early to the treatment program. And while they're subject to this release agreement, um, they could be required to abide by certain conditions as outlined by the corrections agency. And for this new type of misdemeanor, there could be no fines or fees ordered as a provision of the sentence. Um, These parts of the new possession charge are unchanged from the Dash 1 Class C misdemeanor provisions. Basically, these will be considered a drug-related, designated drug-related misdemeanor for purposes of supervision, duty, and funding. Um, The provisions for the new type of conditional discharge are very similar to what's in the Dash 1s. Basically, this is a pre-plea type of probation where the person can enter in a probation agreement, and if they fulfill the terms of that agreement, the Um, charge would be dismissed against them. The main changes here, as you can see, are um, in the dash ones, the defendant was automatically eligible here. Um, The district attorney can object based on certain grounds, and then the court will decide if the person can enter the agreement. And there are some clarification uh, as to what happens with other charges the person might be facing. Um, and there was some am- ambiguity under current law as to whether someone could be subject to days in jail if they violate the terms of this type of probation. So this adds a provision that these people can be sanctioned up to 30 days in jail, both on this type of um, conditional discharge and conditional discharge that exists under current law for drug crimes. The expungement provisions are very similar to what was in the Dash 1s. The, the main change um, is that upon successful completion of probation, whether it be conditional discharge or um, probation after conviction, um, there would be an automatic expungement. That is the the third bullet point there. Um, But you can see that the timelines are relatively similar. The Oregon Behavioral Health Grant Program is still in the amendments. Um, The type of applicant is somewhat changed. Um, It's a county or a designee of a county or a tribal government or designee. Um, There's a certain type of uh, cooperation and coordination that needs to occur before um, the applicant can apply for a grant for a deflection program. And um, there are certain partners to the deflection program that um, must be part of that coordination. And the application has to show that coordination. And the coordinator, um, in a previous version, it had to be coordinated by a um, community mental health program or local mental health authority, and that's been changed to coordinated by or in consultation with. And I would, I would just also point out that the, um, a couple of the other like more stringent requirements for the, the grant program have been removed as well.
And then there are some new provisions at the end of the bill that come from House Bill 4120. This is a another grant program for um, jail-based um, treatment for opioid use disorder. That was Jessica Minifee, Senior Deputy Legislative Counsel at the Oregon Legislature, testifying Monday, February 26th before the Joint Committee on Addiction and Community Safety Response on House Bill 4002, a measure which would undo the reforms of Oregon's voter-approved Measure 110 and recriminalize simple possession of some drugs. Before we continue, it's worth mentioning that this joint committee is a recent creation. It was put together in September 2023 specifically to act as the vehicle for reversing Measure 110. Measure 110, the Drug Addiction Treatment and Recovery Act, was approved by voters in November 2020. Rather than create a joint committee with expertise in different areas of government to oversee the implementation of this groundbreaking first-in-the-nation effort, the state legislature instead handed implementation over to the Senate Judiciary Committee. You know, the committee which, along with its House counterpart, is responsible for cops, courts, the criminal legal system, and not to put too fine a point on it, the legislators most responsible for building and sustaining the drug war. You're listening to Century of Lies. I'm Doug McVeigh. On today's show, we're looking at the effort by drug war supporters to recriminalize simple possession in the state of Oregon. The Oregon Legislature's Joint Committee on Addiction and Community Safety Response held a hearing Monday, February 26th on House Bill 4002. Beginning the show, we heard about the bill from the Legislative Council. Well, now for some of the public testimony. The next voice you hear will be that of Jennifer Parrish Taylor, Director of Advocacy and Public Policy at the Urban League of Portland. Um, Co-chairs Lieber and Cruff and members of the committee, for the record, my name is Jennifer Parrish-Taylor, and I'm the Director of Advocacy and Public Policy with the Urban League of Portland, one of the oldest civil rights organizations in the state. I respectfully submit this testimony in opposition to House Bill 4002 with the Dash 24 amendments and all amendments recently submitted. At the start of this process to repeal Measure 110, black and brown communities were told explicitly by lawmakers that recriminalization would happen, that the legislature had to end the session with a bill, and that if they didn't figure this out, we would face a ballot measure that would be far worse. Despite our fears, our community turned out in droves to lay bare our traumas, our fears, and warn of the immediate and future violence this policy would have on our communities. To say that we refuse to be a part of the process is patently untrue. We lobbied hard and reaffirmed that the theoreticals of this policy, when put into practice, would have real and lasting implications for a population that is overly represented in the worst possible ways when it comes to homelessness and criminalization. And with each conversation and response, it was clear that our warnings and data had not been heeded, let alone considered. Because of their absence, I can only think that legislators either don't believe black and brown communities or worse, they just don't care. When HB 4002, with HB 4002, excuse me, Democratic leadership and Republican proponents of the ballot measure using the tools of white supremacy has succeeded in building a slightly larger cage for those who will be collateral of the criminal provisions of House Bill 4002, which will cause unconscionable harm and lasting violence to communities of color and other Oregonians experiencing drug addiction. The racial impact statement, which comes too late in this process, still shows that there will be negative disparate impacts for black Oregonians. I ask that those legislators listening who believe in racial justice to vote their conscience at this moment. Let me be clear. This bill will pass without your votes. I appreciate the acute political pressures you are under not to break with leadership on this issue, but the time is always right to do what is morally right, even when it feels hard. We urge you not to pass House Bill 4002 and all related amendments. Good evening, Co-Chair Lieber, Co-Chair Croft, members of the committee. My name is Grant Hartley. I'm the director of the Multnomah County Office for Metropolitan Public Defenders. 
As a public defender, I represent some of Oregon's most vulnerable and oppressed citizens, people who have been continually had their voices silenced as they cry out for help. And once again, those voices have been silenced in this process. You've been provided data and research showing that recriminalization will only exacerbate the addiction crisis in our communities. And not only will it fail in achieving its purported goal, but it will also deepen the racial disparities that are rampant in our criminal system and continue the failed policies of a war on drug, a war which has caused so much harm in communities of color that it has become synonymous with, with racism. But those concerns have been ignored and, those, when, and the voices raising them silenced. I do not wish to be unfair to the legislators in this body. Many of you want to do the right thing and but find yourself in a difficult, difficult position. Mr. Williams, Mr. Barton, and the millionaires and billionaires who support them have waged a public war of misinformation since the inception of Measure 110, culminating with a ballot measure to repeal Measure 110, which they are using as a threat against this body in order to control this democratic process. Conceding to that threat sets a very dangerous precedent. And the bill that has resulted is truly concerning. I have heard this bill described as a treatment first process, heard legislators say that people will get into treatment before, um, rather than jail in this proposal, and that is simply not accurate. In reality, most people will be brought to jail when they are arrested. They will likely not receive a public defender for the foreseeable future. If they do get one and want conditional discharge, they will be denied the basic due process rights, like the ability to see all the evidence against them and to file a motion when their constitutional rights are violated. They will be placed onto probation where they can be jailed for 30 days before being placed on another probation where they can be jailed for another 30 days before being revoked and sentenced to 180 days minus whatever they served on probation. This will create a dangerous revolving door with individuals going in and out of treatment, each time increasing the risk of overdose and disrupting any semblance of stability they had in the community. Mm -hmm. And for what? To try to compel them into treatment that does not exist before we punish people for not engaging in treatment, we must ensure treatment is actually available. It is not. And this bill does not change that sad reality. Hi, everyone. My name is Maylee Browning. I'm the legislative director for the Oregon Criminal Defense Lawyers Association. I'm going to do a little bit of a deep dive um, into conditional discharge. Um, like the good senator mentioned, um, the Dash 24 has new language allowing a DA to object to someone entering conditional discharge, and a court may um, decide to let the person in or deny the person entry based on what's in the um, what's best for the person and for the community. That language is really vague, and there's no parameters on that. Um, and we expect that to lead to some unequal um, enforcement throughout the state. For example, um, we expect probably the Washington County DA's office to object to every single um, person entering conditional discharge who has tried um, at treatment before and were quote unquote not successful. Uh, another issue regarding conditional discharge, which um, is a structure that looks good, but there's problems in how it's going to be implemented, um, is 30 days to enter conditional discharge. And also the fact that filing a motion to suppress evidence does not toll that 30 days. Um, it looks like this language was pulled from the DUI diversion statute. And I want to point out that there's a difference between DUI and PCS. For PCS, possession of a controlled substance, it's all about the search. It's all about searches. And what a motion to suppress evidence does, um, it's filed by defense counsel when a person's constitutional rights um, have been violated. And it brings to light what the bad police conduct is and deters future bad police conduct. So we want to, um, if we're going to mitigate some of the harm that we're going to see from this bill, from all the searches, one way is to encourage and allow these motions to suppress evidence um, and have that be included um, in um, 
to toll the time window. Also, it looks like this language was pulled from the DUI diversion statute. One thing that wasn't taken from the DUI diversion statute is allowing someone to enter DUI diversion, or in this case, conditional discharge, 14 days after they receive the lab results. Um, and it seems like there's an effort to kind of uh, sidestep a fiscal for OSP for the crime lab. And I'll say that if you're going to recriminalize drugs, so the cost of prosecution, and that's a necessary cost. Thank you. Thank you. Co-chairs Croft, Lieber, and members of the committee. For the record, my name is Danita Harris. I am a constituent of Representative Mannix and the Deputy Director of Movement Building at Imagine Black, where we envision a world where people of African descent enjoy the rights, resources, and recognition to be a thriving, resilient, and connected community. HB 4002, public defense provisions, and all of the amendments therein stand in stark opposition to our vision. Over the course of the creation of HB 4002, your committee has been provided with a plethora of data brought forth by subject matter experts, unbiased with the passage or failure of this bill. That data overwhelmingly shows that the carceral approach is a relic of failed policies from the past. You have been informed of the impacts of criminalization and are aware of the desperate impacts of such policies on the black community. Despite knowing how woefully harmful this will be on my community, you continue to move further and further towards incarceration over treatment, sacrificing black people, the very community that you've kept out of your closed door meetings to maintain political power. That is what a broken democracy looks like. It lacks innovation. It's refusing to account for data. It prioritizes <coughs> oppressive institutions and business owning class over your constituents who voted for treatment, who continue to call for treatment. This is not fundamentally different than the way that we have done things in the, the past, despite the way that you started off this meeting. Sacrificing our communities is actually very status quo. I have deep faith in our constituencies and believe when we voted for treatment over jails, we meant treatment over jails. It is with the greatest disappointment I recognize I have more faith in our constituencies than you do. Black people deserve a lot better. Co-chairs Lee Croft and members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to provide testimony in opposition to House Bill 4002. My name is Gloria Ochoa Sandoval and I'm the policy director at Unite Oregon. I thought of being silent for two minutes to represent the silence I received to the last email I sent last Wednesday regarding our communications, but I've decided my words need to be heard publicly. As a reminder, Unite Oregon is a statewide nonprofit organization in both urban and rural Oregon that is led by and represents black indigenous people of color, immigrants and refugees, and folks experiencing poverty, the same group of people that are disproportionately targeted by criminalization. I hear you say we need to do something to get people off the streets, decrease drug use, and save lives. I agree. Where we disagree is that that means criminalization. House Bill 4002 is not a treatment-first approach. It's a treatment-if-you-are-lucky approach. Luck in this bill is defined as a county that has opted into deflection and might have included providers while planning implementation. Luck is an officer that will offer deflection and a person in possession that understands in English that their options are diversion or a misdemeanor. Luck is a diversion program that is up and running. This bill has more paths to criminalization than it does to behavioral health. It disguises what is practically a class B misdemeanor as unclassified, and it lays the ground for great opportunity for racism with opt-ins, discretion, and suspicion. Dismissals, probation, and expungement are also being promoted. Dismissals are a missed opportunity for someone to have been connected to treatment. Probation is incredibly harmful and difficult to maintain when you have 
have work and a lack of access to phone and transportation. And expungement, although referred to as automatic, still takes three years to be able to access, and that's if you get the application right and if that task force is done putting it together. The racial impact statement shows racial disparities. It confirmed disproportionate harm to Black and Latinx people. That is, even though it avoided incorporating the very real disproportionate impact of the pandemic and fentanyl in low-income communities in the recent years. As a Latina, I'm tired of governments meeting my plea for help regarding racial disparities with a proposal for data collection to prove my experience true. I'm also tired of receiving data that validates my experience and does nothing about it. If you care, if you don't want to sacrifice black lives for your quick need to do something, I would encourage you to put a threshold to these disparities and have counties who show this disproportionate impact to no longer be allowed to charge misdemeanors. You just heard Gloria Ochoa Sandoval, Policy and Political Director at Unite Oregon. That segment started with Jennifer Parrish-Taylor, Director of Advocacy and Public Policy at the Urban League of Portland, followed by Grant Hartley, Multnomah County Director at Metropolitan Public Defenders, May Lee Browning, Legislative Director of the Oregon Criminal Defense Lawyers Association, and Denita Harris, Deputy Director of Movement Building with Imagine Black. We're listening to testimony at a hearing before an Oregon Legislative Committee on Monday, February 26th on House Bill 4002, a measure to undo the reforms of Oregon's voter-approved Measure 110 and recriminalize simple possession of some drugs. Let's hear more. The next voice you hear will be that of Haven Wheelock, Harm Reduction Services Manager at the Portland-area nonprofit Outside In. Members of the committee, for the record, my name is Haven Wheelock, and I've been providing care to people who use drugs here in Oregon for nearly 20 years. I'm here today to oppose House Bill 4002 and all its amendments. There is no question that the addiction crisis in our state deserves all the attention that it's currently getting. However, people who use drugs deserve real solutions that are shown to help people heal from addiction, which is not the way this policy is written. War on drug policies have shown time and time again that they don't work to get people into care. And these policies all too often disproportionately harm black, brown, and indigenous people more than white people. If we could arrest our way out of this crisis, we would have done it a long time ago. We've actually tried this approach in Oregon, pre-measure 110, and it didn't work. There's some magical thinking happening here that somehow going back to the way things were before measure 110 is going to take take us back to the 2019 addiction crisis. But I want to remind you that that it was bad in 2019 and it is still bad today. Punishing people for our failures to create affordable housing, effective treatment is cruel. And we those are the issues we really should be focusing on. Our addiction care continuum is so fragmented and overwhelmed and overburdened Adding any criminal legal referrals is just going to complicate our already messed up system. I know personally know people who are currently struggling to find care that can't find it. And if we're forcing people who don't want to stop using drugs into treatment slots, we're going to keep people who are actively ready for care out of those spots. I'm all for finding creative solutions to our addiction crisis and would love to work myself out of a job right now. This bill isn't going to do that. We know that because criminalization didn't work before. Why would we think it's going to work now? Thank you for your time. Good evening, co-chairs Croft and Lieber and committee members. I'm Sandy Chang, Shira Pronouns, Executive Director of the ACLU of Oregon. Legal scholar and civil rights lawyer Michelle Alexander writes in her book, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration and the Time of Colorblindness, the following. The political dynamics that gave birth to the system date back to slavery. 
The declaration and escalation of the war on drugs marked a moment in our past when a group of people defined by race and class was viewed and treated as the enemy. A literal war was declared on a highly vulnerable population, leading to a wave of punitiveness that permeated every aspect of our criminal justice system and redefined the scope of fundamental constitutional rights. The war mentality resulted in the militarization of local police departments and billions invested in law enforcement at the state and local levels. It also contributed to astronomical expenditures for prison building and the slashing of billions from education, public housing, and welfare programs, as well as a slew of legislation authorizing legal discrimination against millions of people accused of drug offenses, denying them access to housing, food stamps, credit, basic public benefits, and financial aid for schooling. This war did not merely increase the number of people in prisons and jails. It radically altered the life course of millions, especially black men who were the primary targets in the first decades of the war. Their lives and families were destroyed for drug crimes that were largely ignored on the other side of town. When Measure 110 was passed by Oregonians, our state chose to step forward in the arc of history towards justice. With House Bill 4002-24, the Oregon legislature is proposing to knowingly step backwards and restart the war on drugs in Oregon. Last week, Governor Kotek told racial justice groups that good policy is good politics. The reality is this bill is incredibly bad politics because House Bill 4002-24 is massively bad policy. You cannot change bad policy by simply saying it isn't so. The ACLU of Oregon urges you to help build an Oregon filled with healing and thriving communities, not more jails and prisons. Please vote no on House Bill 4002-24 and all of the amendments that support recriminalization. Thank you. For the record, my name is Jackie Yerby. I use she, her pronouns. I am testifying in my capacity as the Director of Community Engagement for the ACLU of Oregon. I am here to bear witness with my colleagues, our coalition partners, especially the BIPOC-led organizations and black, brown, and indigenous Oregonians who will be harmed by the solutions in the Dash 24. As I've said previously, I've worked alongside you, Senator Lieber, Representative Sanchez, Representative Nose, who's not here right now. I know you. And I know that you are an incredibly tough position. You have taken a bad bill and have made it so much worse. Leaving discretion to counties about whether to even implement deflection and diversion programs and to law enforcement to decide who gets access to these programs is an invitation to perpetuate the structural racism that is deeply ingrained in our criminal legal system. Geography-based justice is no justice at all. It bears repeating that your solutions will strengthen the foundation of structural racism in the criminal legal system. I know that is hard to hear. Imagine how hard it is for the black, brown, and indigenous Oregonians, families, and communities that will feel the lash of this legislation. Sadly, structural racism is the strongest foundation of this bill. The rest of it is built on sand. Where are the public defenders who will be needed to represent people arrested under this bill? When will the optional deflection 
and diversion programs be stood up. Criminalization go into effect before these programs exist. The seeming lack of consideration for these questions will make the Measure 110 implementation look flawless by comparison. This solution will fail. Oregonians deserve better. You just heard Jackie Yerby, Director of Community Engagement at the ACLU of Oregon. That segment started with Haven Wheelock, Harm Reduction Services Manager at Outside In. She was followed by Sandy Chung, Executive Director of the ACLU of Oregon. They were testifying at a hearing before an Oregon Legislative Committee on Monday, February 26th on House Bill 4002, a measure to undo the reforms of Oregon's voter-approved Measure 110 and recriminalize simple possession of some drugs. And for now, that's it. Thank you for joining us. This has been Century of Lies. I've been your host, Doug McVeigh. Century of Lies is a volunteer production for Community Radio, syndicated via the Pacifica Foundation Radio Network's audio port service. Find this edition of Century along with an archive of past shows at the Drug Truth Network website, drugtruth.net. You'll find a link there to subscribe to the Century of Lies podcast. We'll be back in a week with 30 more minutes of news and information about drug policy and the failed war on drugs. For now, this is Doug McVeigh saying so long. So long. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh asking you to examine our policy of drug prohibition, the century of lies. Drug Truth Network programs archived at the James A. Baker III Institute for Public Policy. Thank you.